0: meeting. I want to just share another, just briefly for a few minutes. I didn't mention this this morning because I didn't want to take up our time, but we had, um, maybe the word, <laughs> the word sharp is not the word perhaps to use, but we had a, I had a good head-to-head debate with a priest and uh, a young curate that was with him. He was all dressed. He was dressed out in his long robes and his hat on him, and I got chatting to him. I have to say I was exhausted at the end of the debate that went on for quite a while. But I mention it because I want you to pray for the man. He comes from America. I think it was Philadelphia he said he was from. And uh, the amazing thing is this, that he, was an e- he claimed that he was an evangelical for eight years, and he left the evangelical movement in America. And now it wasn't, uh, it was a, what I could gather, fed straight, straight down the line, evangelical church. And he left. And uh, he joined the Orthodox Church for a while. And then he came into the Church of Rome. He's a man, I would say, perhaps well on in his 40s or maybe early 50s. The young fellow with him was only a teenager. But we got into conversation and we discussed many things about purgatory, about the mass and all of that. But I was absolutely amazed when he said he'd been a member of an evangelical church and had just gone the opposite direction altogether. But pray for him. At least he, yes, we had a sharp debate. As I say, I was exhausted at the end of it. And uh, do pray for him. I think his name was David, and pray that that man might turn, go back to the Word of God, and that he may be saved and come to faith in Christ. It wasn't by accident. Nothing happens by accident, as we know. And uh, as he was just walking along, I just, uh, I just, well, it was really I, I just uh, kind of stepped in and asked him, uh, what order did he belong? That's how it started out. And um, the Lord is able to save him. The Lord is able to change him. An educated man and well able to argue his point. But pray that God would move in his heart. And the young fellow that was with him as well. A few people gathered around listening. There was a couple of Christian men. I don't know where they were from, but they backed me up as well. And, uh, but it's not just a matter of winning an argument, is it? It's seeking to win a soul, win a soul for Christ, and pray for that man. Let's bow together in a word of prayer as we turn to the word tonight. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we would pray, Lord, for David, and we pray you may open his eyes, and we pray, Our gracious God, you would be merciful and gracious to him, and that he might be turned, turned from darkness unto light. Lord, undertake for him. Thou art able to save him and the young man that was with him. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Bless thy word to us all tonight. We earnestly pray, Father, for any unconverted and saved in this meeting. Oh God, we do pray they'll see their danger, see their lost estate, that they might turn to Christ and be saved. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now the verse that I want to leave with you tonight here in this passage of Scripture is the verse 13. Though we're looking at other verses, but we'll read this verse together. The verse thirteen: For ye have heard of my conversation. The apostle Paul here, of course, is referring to his his uh, lifestyle, how he lived, his way of life, his way of life, his manner of life in time past in the Jewish religion. How that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. We want to. Think for a few moments tonight together about Paul's conversion, or if you like, about his testimony. And the Apostle Paul, of course, had a great testimony. He experienced the intervention of God and the power of God in his life and was wonderfully changed. And of course, we know tonight, every Christian knows that conversion is a work of the grace of God in the heart. That's what it is. It's the power of God coming and revealing to the individual their need. There's a conviction there, and thank God for that. And what else can change a man's mind? What can change his heart? What else can bring about a new creature, if any man be in Christ, He is a new creature or a new creation. Nothing, there's no power in this earth can do it apart from the power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, many people, when they think of the Apostle Paul and when they think about his testimony that he was a saved man, perhaps they're, they're stunned and surprised for to hear this because they're thinking to themselves, Surely the Apostle Paul didn't need to be saved. Was he not always a converted man? Was he not always a saved man? After all, he's called St. Paul. But of course we know from reading our scriptures that this is not the case. There was a time in his life on that road to Damascus where the Lord met with him and when he was saved and wonderfully changed. And this is the testimony of this man. He can speak here about his past life and what his life was like and how terrible it was and how determined he was to wipe out the people of God and the church of Jesus Christ. He says, You have heard of my conversation in times past. In the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and of course we know as well as we think of testimonies tonight and as we think of the power of God and what the Lord can do it is possible for a man to give up many things and yet not to be saved he could give up drugs he could give up alcohol he could give up many sinful habits and of course thank God for all of that and I'm sure his home his house his family will be all the better for that yes a man can lay aside many things and yet remain dead in trespasses and in sins and tonight here in the meeting you may be a very good living person and individual you may be very respectable you may not indulge in alcohol or drugs or any of them things but yet you need to be saved your heart needs to be changed a good life though it be good and have a high standard, will not get a man into heaven, will not save him. For it's not by works we're saved or our own efforts, but it is by the grace of God. Are you saved tonight? Or are you depending upon something you have done or some high standard of of living? That'll not get you to heaven, it'll not get you to glory. If a man is not saved, he's dead. And he's dead, as the Apostle reminds us in Ephesians chapter 2, he's dead in trespasses and in sins. Now, there's something else here as well that comes out in the Apostle's testimony, that when an individual are converted and when they're saved, they take a firm stand for the gospel. And how important that is, a firm stand for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't become perfect. None of us become perfect when we're saved. We go on with the Lord. We have much to learn. But how important this is. That person is no longer in confusion. They're no longer mixed up in their minds as to what they believe. They never come out with the statement, well, one religion is as good as the other. All religions are equal. And of course, that's what we hear much of today. We're not to criticize any. We're not to put down any. All are good and they have something to offer. But note here the words of the Apostle Paul here in the verse 9. How strong this language is. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel than that which he have received, let him be accursed. It's repeated twice. You have it there again in the verse 9. Then we have preached unto, unto you, let him be accursed. And of course it means anathema. Let him be ruined. Let him be damned. Let him be lost. And that reminds us all tonight here in the meeting, brethren, doesn't it? Of the uniqueness of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other message in the world like the gospel. So if a man sets out to deny the gospel, and he's going to preach his own message, he's going to invent his own way, and he's going to oppose the gospel, it doesn't matter who he is. The Apostle Paul says, let him be accursed. You see, there was no wavering about. There's no compromising here with the Apostle Paul. Once he's saved... And once he receives the light of the gospel he rejoices in it he's delighted in the gospel and he knows it's a, it's the only message it's a very special special message there's no other word or no other testimony in the world like this it doesn't matter where it comes from and we know that this is resented very much in our day and age and it's so offensive and, of course, we can be had up for it. Uh, we can be rebuked for it very strongly and even persecuted if we don't say, well, all religions all religions are good and there's, there's a lot of riches in all religions. But the Apostle Paul, and let us note it here, stands out so very clearly and very firmly. Let him be accursed. Let him be accursed. Let him be anathema. That's very strong, isn't it? And may the Lord help us, yes, in love and in kindness. May the Lord help us to stand for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints and not to compromise. The Apostle Paul here, you note, is not invite, inviting, now there's false teachers, has come in here into the church of Galatia and they're seeking for, to, to trouble the brethren as we read here in the verse 7. Which is not another, he says, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Some that would trouble the people of God and seek to upset them and lead them astray. The Apostle Paul here doesn't suggest, well, let us sit down around the table and let us have a conference and let us come to some agreement. We can patch things up and we can work together and we can all compromise a little bit. That's not what he's saying at all. He doesn't entertain that. And may the Lord help us for to stand firm for the gospel with real conviction and with delight and see how unique it is and how wonderful it is. The only message that can meet the need of a man's heart and it's the only message that can save. But there's something else too about a testimony. A testimony must be up to date. It is God-centered, and we must seek to go on with God. Dear Christian, tonight, are you going on with God? Or have you fallen back? Are you going on with the Lord? I'm not asking you if you have never backslidden. I'm not asking you, have you gone through times of coldness? I'm asking you, are you seeking to go on with the Lord? Am I seeking to go on with God? day after day, continually, seeking to go through with God. You remember the words of the apostle there as we have them there in Philippians. In Philippians it is, and in the chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 it is, and the verse 14. Or verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the price of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You see that? He's pressing toward the mark. He's not saying he's perfect, that he has arrived, but he's pressing toward the mark. May the Lord help us who profess salvation to keep pressing on toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ, Jesus. Is there not a deadness has come in among God's professing people today? Is is there a deadness? Is there a coldness? Is there a lack of enthusiasm for the things of God? Is there a lack of joy? Is there a lack of delight? you remember the words of the psalmist? He said, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Yes, we are to delight in God. We're to enjoy the Lord, and we're to press on with him. I press toward the mark. Dear Christian, keep pressing on. But we look here first and foremost, here at his life, and we notice his zeal. His zeal for the things of God. He speaks about his past life and he's speaking about how he persecuted the church of God in the verse 13 and wasted it and profited in the Jewish religion above many my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my father. You see how religious he was? You see how devoted he was? And how determined he was? The Jewish religion... That was the thing that delighted his heart. Yes, we could say this man was religious, but he was lost. He was lost. Is it possible? Is it possible for a man to be religious and to be lost? Yes, it is. It's possible for a man to be out and out for his church and denomination, but be lost. Nothing in his heart at all. So it was with the Apostle Paul. He was in earnest, there's no doubt about that. He was a man of conviction, real, deep conviction, with regard to the Jewish religion and all that went with it. So much so, as I have said before, the man was prepared for to travel miles and miles and miles just for to persecute the Christians and to wipe them out and to finish them. He looked upon them, he looked upon them as being false. He looked upon them just as, as a just as it were a a, a a scourge upon the Jewish religion. And so he's determined. He was determined and he was committed. And yet the awful thing is this he was blind. He was blind. Blind to the gospel blind to the things of the Lord. And of course, this is the very thing, isn't it, that stirs up fury in so many people. When you seek to witness, when you mention the word saved, many people don't like that word at all. They do not like the word saved. And they will say, well, I don't need that. I'm a very respectable person. I try to t- keep the Ten Commandments. And I go to my church every week. And I pay, in my, I pay in my money. And I do the best I can. I help my neighbor and everything else. I don't need to hear about this word saved. And it rises, as I say, anger and fury in so many people. But here's a test for every one of us tonight here in the, in the meeting. Here's a test for you and it's a test for me as well. There's no exceptions with each one of us. You say to me, what is the test? Well, did the Lord save you or save me because of something he saw within us, some good he saw in us? Is that why he saved us? He looked into our hearts And he saw something respectable there. He saw some conviction, earnestness. And so the Lord decided that he would save us. Something in us. Well, what's our answer to that? Dear friend, tonight if our answer to that question is yes. The Lord saved me because he saw something worthy in me. And he saw something respectable in me. He looked at my life and he looked at my heart and how I was living. And he decided, I'll save that man. I'll save that woman. Because I see something there. Dear friend, tonight in the meeting, if that is your response, then you're deceived. You're deceived. And you're in error and you're still in your sins. There is nothing good in any one of us. Nothing worthy whatever. All our righteousnesses, the scripture reminds us, all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. I don't care whether the man is green or whether he's orange or whether he's Protestant or Catholic, whatever background he comes from, he's lost, he's ruined. And there's nothing deserving in him. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the Apostle Paul reminds us of that here in his testimony. And he reminds us, of course, in the verse four, he goes to the very heart of the gospel, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. That's it. There's the very heart of the gospel. Christ Jesus gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil world and to save us. Dear friend, our answer to this question is very important. There is nothing in us. Here's the testimony of the Apostle Paul. And He speaks here, of course, as well as we have already noted, He speaks here about His Jewish tradition, His Jewish religion. Jewish religion and he's speaking here about the teaching of the rabbis and the teaching of the priests and everything else rather than the Old Testament text that's very important isn't it you see these men these rabbis these men should have been preaching the gospel They should have based their their faith and their preaching upon the Old Testament text. Now, it stands out very clearly here. Just turn over there a couple of chapters here in Galatians. The chapter 3 and in the verse 6. The chapter 3 and the verse 6. You see here how he brings it out, even as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preach before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. And you see these men, these rabbis, if they had been expounding the Old Testament as they should have been, they would have come to preach the gospel. And they would have said to a man like the Apostle Paul and to others as well, a man is saved by faith, not by traditions or rituals or anything else. They would have pointed to Abraham. Abraham believed God. And it was counted unto him for righteousness. No tradition and ritual it's all the invention of men, and men love it. People love it, don't they? They love the ritual of religion. Dress a man up in all the garb you like. put a hat on his head. Give him many different colored vestments and all the rest. And my, we all by nature are the same. How people love that, they look Well, look at these men. Look at these wonderful men, how they're arrayed. So it was with the Jewish religion. And the Apostle Paul was taken up with it. Oh, but he never heard the gospel until God intervened. And then afterwards he could say that Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. And that was a great message of the Protestant Reformation, wasn't it? With Luther and with Manny. Away with all your masses and your confessions and everything else. And all that goes with it. And your good works and trying to earn credit and and, and all of these things. The man stepped forward here like the Apostle Paul. The just shall live by faith. And praise God what a reformation took place and what a revival took place. And there's a a lesson there for you and for me as well. Isn't it frightening how a church can depart from the faith? You see how these rabbis departed from the truth of God? That can happen. Let us be careful. Let us stand fast. Let us watch and let us pray. And let us keep close to the word of the living God. I was amazed, you know, And maybe you've read this history yourself. History of the Free Church of Scotland that commenced, I think it was maybe 1840 or 1845 in Scotland. What a mighty revival it was! Churches went up everywhere over the land of Scotland. There was revival. They had seceded, they had come away from the Church of Scotland for many reasons. But these were all evangelical men, full of zeal and preaching the word of God. And they saw many, many converted. They were refused land for to build churches. They were refused land for to build manses. But nevertheless, the work went forward. Hundreds of them were built. But dear friends, what happened? What happened by the turn of the century, by 1900? This higher criticism came in from Germany, the scholarship so called, disputing the Word of God and denying the Word of God. And what a blow! What a blow! We're to stand fast in the faith, we're to watch, we are to pray. That comes out here in Paul's testimony comes out here in Paul's testimony. Tradition. The traditions of men. They're worth nothing. And in the book of Acts we have this great word. Mark it well in your Bible in the book of Acts chapter 17 and in the verse 11. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind. They received the word with all readiness of mind. And search the scriptures daily whether these things were so. You see that? They searched the scriptures continually to see if what they were being told were right and if it was the truth. Oh, let us keep, let us keep close to the word of the Lord. When I was uh, speaking to that, that priest, I said, you know, I said, that's the whole problem. That's the whole problem. That's the whole problem with Ireland. South of Ireland, in particular. It's the whole problem. I said, there was no preaching of the word. The scripture's a hidden book. Oh, we're to fear it. In case we'd go astray. Don't read the Bible. Don't read the word. Oh, how subtle the devil is. How subtle. But we see how far his zeal went, as I say. He went to an extreme. In verse 13, in that he persecuted the church of God and wasted it. Isn't that wonderful, the grace of God? How things, How the Lord can take a man or several men and how things can change and how he can use them for his glory and for his honor. yes he persecuted the church of God and here something else comes out in his testimony he refers to it as the church of God it's not man's church it's not man's church it doesn't belong to an organization it's God's church if it had been left to man the church would have been finished we wouldn't be here tonight if it had been left to man to care for the church of the living God, it would have been wasted. Would have been wasted. But you see, it's the Lord's. It's the Lord's, and His people are the Lord's people. And there's a wonderful verse there in Matthew chapter sixteen, and in the verse eighteen. It is something similar to what we were thinking of this morning. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, where Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. My church. My church. Oh, how liable we all are to go astray. And to go off on tangents. And to miss the mark. But it's God's church. And the Apostle Paul delighted in this. And there's your text on the wall, that good text. Woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. He went everywhere preaching the message of the word of God. If it were left to man's wisdom and man's cleverness, it would have been finished long ago. But the Lord preserves his work and preserves his people. Yes, in spite of all the persecutions that have been. Horrific persecutions all down through the years. Under the Roman Empire. When we think tonight of the men, all the men that were burnt at the stake. When we think of the awful sufferings. When we think of how people had to disperse and leave their land. When you think of all of that and what people had to pass through. Yet in spite of it all, the Lord has preserved his testimony and he has preserved his his people. The devil, dear friends, tonight will not have the victory. There's a great verse there in the book of Revelation in the chapter 20 in the verse 10. The devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. That's the end of the devil. Yes, he's at loose at the present time and he's at work, but his time is coming. Never let us forget that he's on a leash, he's on a lead. You know when you go out there with, with your little dog, for a, take it out for a walk, you have, you have one of them leads. You can, you can press a button and release it and, and the little dog or, or the big dog, whatever it might be, it it can go on a certain distance. You think to yourself, you say to yourself, now there's a danger here, perhaps it will go out in front of a car, and so you press the button and you bring it back in again. And dear friends, that's how it is with the enemy tonight. The devil, principalities and powers, they're on a leash. They're on a leash. Praise God he commands the waves of the sea. We read in Job Thither shalt thou come and no further. Even the waves are under his control. Not a sparrow can fall to the ground. But he is mindful of it. But really the most important thing here in the testimony. As I mentioned is the intervention of God. And there we have it in the verse 15. When it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb. And called me by his grace. It's the intervention of the Almighty God. There we are, there's a the man, whoever it might be. He's on that broad road that's leading down to a lost eternity. He has no thought whatever of God or of salvation, no thought of eternity. No thought of standing before God, coming before the Lord. But his sovereign grace, when it pleased God. And of course, it came to fruition on the road to Damascus. Paul, Paul, why persecutest thou me? That's why we sing in that hymn, don't we? And rightly so, To God be the glory Great things he hath done. It reminds us of of John Newton's great hymn, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Has God intervened in your life? Have you heard his speaking voice for the preaching of the gospel? Have you come under conviction? Do you realize that you need to be saved? Are you putting it off? Are you, is your heart getting hard oh be careful be careful there's a line that is drawn we don't know there's a line that is drawn we do not know where or when but God can draw a line and let that individual on to their own end God intervenes be careful dear soul that you respond the invitation and to the glorious message of the gospel yes that was his former state and left to ourselves every Christian we have to say tonight left to our own devices left to ourselves we would have continued on in blindness in darkness would I have been any better than that priest that I met the other day not one bit probably worse The Lord intervenes. Sovereign grace. And the Apostle Paul reminds us in Ephesians chapter 2 and the verse 1, You hath he quickened who are dead in trespasses and in sins. Dead. That's the state of people by nature. Spiritually dead. or oh, they may be very much alive. They may be good at dancing good at drinking good at the party and everything else full of life for business but dead spiritually what an awful state but the lord is able to quicken and he's able to make alive and he's